This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Welcome to episode four of the Women Speak Cyber podcast. LV and I have a really stellar lineup of speakers coming, but today we are so excited to welcome Jackie Kerno partner in EY. You know, it's hard for me to introduce her because she's also one of my closest friends. But for people in this industry, you know, Jackie, she's a powerhouse. She's a champion of diversity. And we're just over the moon that she's taking some time out of her day to talk to us. So Jackie, welcome. Well, what a lovely introduction. And I remember getting this invite the other week and thinking, oh my goodness, I'd be delighted to talk to both of you. So the dream team. So it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Jackson. Look, Louisa and I both have had the benefit of working with you as well during our time at Telstra. I had time with you at IBM and what we've loved is that that ongoing relationship that we've been able to have with you in this industry and that network. We talk about it all the time in our podcast and that network of women is just so important. This wasn't one of the questions that we had planned to ask you, but we did just have a really great session a couple of weeks ago that Janan led around the Cyber Shift Alliance. And you played a pretty um, important role in that session. How, how did you feel that went that day? Well, look, I think what was really great about that day was the level of industry involvement that we got in it. So we had to actually close registrations off because once a Zoom call goes over 500 people, it's it's a different licensing problem and you, you need different equipment to run it. So to have an event in the industry that's, you know, perhaps not about technical aspects of our craft go to that level is really exciting and it just highlights how many people are really focused on this as a topic and are really interested in bringing a change to our industry. So yeah, look, I think it went really well. I was kind of sideshow to the great Janan who did an amazing job of her research. But, you know, I think bringing change in any industry is always difficult, especially when there's a lot of people who don't necessarily see the need for it. But I think the amount of involvement showed that there's definitely a movement happening and that there's a lot of people who are looking for somewhere to put their energy around transforming our industry to be more diverse. Because we talk a lot about diversity in the industry. I know you do and and certainly I do too. But I think one of the key things is that there's no point convincing all these women to come over here and then having them find out that it's actually not a great operating environment for women. And so there's a little bit of change that we need to undergo and a little bit of self-examination, I guess, that we need to do. So it's really good to see that we've taken the first step on that. And I think the other really great piece about that movement is that it's industry-driven and led. So whilst Janan has done some amazing research and we've done some amazing thinking about with a lot of industry groups and linked to a lot of other groups globally who are doing that, most notably one of your other podcast guests, Ms. Franklin, and her wonderful insecurity movement, I think that it's actually really good that we've got people who are willing to get involved and actually help us craft the solution. So it's not about any one person in a 
kind of what I like to talk about, a patriarchal model where there's a hierarchy and some boss gets involved and goes, this is what we're doing now. It's a movement, a groundswell from the bottom up where people are saying, I want to be involved in this change. I want to participate and I want to make it different for other people that come after me. So I think it's super positive that it's actually drawn from the industry and being crafted by the industry to think about how we want to shift it for the next generation of of cyber people, you know, and how we attract the right level of diversity. Because as I both don't need to tell you, if we don't attract better diversity in security, we actually have a security problem. We're not thinking about a problem in the right way if we don't have as many clever minds on the problem as we we can. And obviously, there's a huge resource shortage globally as well. So, we really need to do better in order to be able to fulfill the demand. And so, it's it's great that that's happening. I can't believe that people don't know you and that they wouldn't have heard of you. If there is someone listening that hasn't heard of you, Jackie, would you mind sharing a bit about your background and, and all the other amazing things you're involved in, including FIT as well, which we'd love to chat to you about as well. Yeah, sure. So look, I think there's stacks of people who haven't heard of me, I'm quite sure. So my background originally is in defense intelligence, which is obviously a good background for cybersecurity, like keeping things secret. And, you know, physical security has a lot of relationship, I guess, to cybersecurity concepts. So, you know, that's helpful. I kind of started with a background in that. I've worked, as LP said, at IBM with her. That was my kind of second go at IBM. So I had two shots at that here in the UK. and. I've worked for a number of different startups and integrators all around networking, OSS and, and security as a concept. And then I was at Telstra, where I also met you two wonderful ladies. And now I've moved across to, to Ernst & Young, which is actually a great experience because as well as being a cyber person, I get to lead our DI practice for Asia Pacific for financial services and consulting. And so that's really cool because we've actually got great commitment at EY to being better around DI and in fact being market leading. So it's actually really cool to, to be able to take ideas in the out of the possible. And, you know, our, our leader is a straight white man. And I remember being on a call with him and going through, you know, some pretty aggressive targets that we were looking to set. And he's like, well, you know, wouldn't we just... Like if belonging is, is essential for sustainability, wouldn't we just make that the 2025 goal that we just need to get to belonging? Like why, why wouldn't we just make that the goal? And I was like, okay, right. That's uh, a lot more aggressive than the 37% targets we were going to set across the board for next year. So it's involved like a huge spend and an amount of money. So, so that's really cool, I guess, to work there. And I guess secondly, I try and contribute to the industry by uh, working with just an absolutely amazing team of women at, at Females in it and And what we do there is really try and mentor and engage women to help them network and build skills and connections and sponsorship to enable them to further their careers in tech and to give them, I guess, some place to go because, as you both know, it can be pretty lonely when you're a female in tech. Uh, and I remember both well before Either of you two were probably even out of high school, but I remember actually walking into a meeting room and if there was another woman in the room, I, I would think, oh, I'm in the wrong room and, and head back out again. And, and actually, the first time I was actually at, at Telstra and I walked into a room and I said, oh, sorry, I might have the wrong meeting room. And the woman in there said, no, are you here for the authentication meeting? And I said, yeah. And she goes, yeah, I am too. And we're, you know, friends to this day. So yeah, but there weren't many then. So, you know, and having that, that other woman working with me there made such a huge difference. And so I think nothing empowers you like a circle of women 
having you back and, and giving you support. So yeah, I think that's really important to foster in our industry. I think that's been one of the biggest benefits that we've found from Project Friedman, certainly with our first cohort. They've got their little connection and their network now with each other, and that's ongoing two years later. We actually had a check-in with our current cohort, of which there's 19 women, and I could start to see they noticed who'd had a haircut or, you know, who had everyone had dogs, and it was just a really lovely environment. I think some of them are a little bit isolated geographically, so we've got one that's over in WA on our own a couple in SA, a couple here in Queensland. And so it's been really nice for them to sort of forge some connections and a support network that allows them to, I guess, talk about what their current situation is and understand if this is something that's abnormal, normal, that they should or shouldn't tolerate. And it's it's actually been one of the best benefits that LV and I kind of hadn't forecast as part of this project, but it's come out of it. You two are probably on my list of people I call when I want advice on things. So I know how important it is to have that in this industry. Yeah, and I think to kind of feel seen and heard. And I, and you've raised a really good point there, which is around being able to identify microaggressions because, you know, the patriarchy tells us that, you know, we're in a meritocracy and we're really, really not. So just being able to identify microaggressions, it's really funny as someone wanted to do a presentation actually a while back on, you know, we should talk about imposter syndrome. And I read this great article in the Harvard Business Review a while back, which resonated for me because I was like, is imposter syndrome really imposter syndrome? Or is it just like a response to being told that you're less than, you know, every time you walk into a room? And markedly after the research, you know, it is a response to being told you're less than. If you gaslight it all the time, then you know, obviously gaslighted all the time. And it really is interesting to me that we've had a really good chat about words that we use in the office. And and one of them is confidence. When we rate people, I remember being in this meeting room with a room full of men who are all pretty good men, don't get me wrong, but maybe just ones that haven't thought about the perspective. And one after the other, as we were rating these, we do a separate like extra ranking for our female mid-level managers, just to make sure that we, we kind of have a is there a reason not to promote them rather than a should we promote these people because we obviously need to focus on promoting our women? And one after the other, they said, oh, hidden gem, but just doesn't want to put herself forward. Worried about promotion and taking on more seniority with the family. Doesn't put herself forward enough. It lacks a bit of confidence. And I thought, lacks confidence. Like these people are operating in senior manager roles and I'm thinking, well, lacks confidence how? Like do they... Do they have problems interacting with our clients or, no, they're great with clients. Clients love them. Just like, you know, and finally after like the sixth one, I sort of looked at the talent team who were the only other women in the room and I kind of rolled my eyes and, you know, pulled the pin out of the grenade and sort of just went, look, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt everyone there. You've just basically said the same thing six times about six different women. And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. And I'm like, has it occurred to you the women are not, not the same as the men? Oh, I said. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Well, well what, do, what do you mean? What do you think we should do? And I'm like, well, you know, when you have a life of privilege and you're a six-foot-tall, straight, middle-aged white guy and you've gone to a great school and, you know, you're probably socioeconomically privileged as well, every room you walk into is yours to own. And that is just not the experience of women 
So just unpacking that privilege that builds that confidence is really important, I think. Being able to highlight and I guess, you know, workshop with other women like, you know, I walked into that, I felt like I did a really good job. People looked at me like maybe I didn't do a good job and I thought, no, I think I really did do a good job. I just want to check out, you know, how that landed. So having that additional support to kind of fill that gap between what you don't get out of the privilege of being at the top of the patriarchal hierarchy really your whole life is super important. You know, that that piece where other women say to you, no, 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 I was watching you and you were good. Jackie, I love the way that you are able to see these things with such clarity, but not just see them. You've always had that courage to call them out and you really have been a pioneer in this space, which we thank you for because it's hard to be a pioneer. It really is. And yeah, I think many other women are thankful to you for always being that that voice willing to call these things out. Well, that is a very kind thing to say. But I think for me personally, when you, you know, my purpose is, uh, I kind of like to say cyber is the thing that pays the bills, but my purpose is around disrupting the, the patriarchal structures that make it hard for humans to be effective at work. So, and I think when your purpose is clear, you know, my purpose isn't to be a cyber partner at EY or, you know, looking after security at Telstra or any of my other jobs, you know, that that's my purpose. And I kind of like to say, which makes everyone reasonably nervous at work, you know, if I have to set fire to the place on the way out, then, you know, that's my purpose, right? There's stuff that needs to be burned down. And that Carly experience is always a little bit frightening, but I like to think it keeps everyone on their toes as well. And I think it's great that you have that clarity of purpose we talked about Jane earlier, Jane Franklin. That was something that she encouraged me to do. I'd never even thought of defining my own purpose. I, I felt like that was a bit arrogant or just one of those things that I felt really uneasy about. But, you know, Jane, she works her magic. Uh, she can convince you to do things. And actually, that was a really, really helpful moment working out why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? And then, working around, you know, the activities that serve your purpose, it does bring great clarity and it is a really helpful thing to have that goal every day and a great one that you have chosen for sure, Jackie. So now I want to understand what yours is, Louisa. <laughs> what did you come up with? Yes. I, so I came up with, and I'm not going to phrase it perfectly because it's kind of sounds a bit different each time, but really it's about making sure people can take advantage of the digital age, but do it securely. So that really means that the people I want to help spans from school age kids right through to seniors. So yeah, that's sort of what drives me. But of course, as well, this mission with LP, getting more women speakers into the pool. And we'd love to chat to you, Jackie, about your thoughts on why that's important, why we were inspired by you Back that all those years ago when LP and I were watching the Twitter feeds go off, when you were one of those people calling out manals um, and saying, you know, this isn't good <laughs> enough. And LP and I, I were like, we've got to find a solution to this. So, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. You know, why is it important that more women get up and speak? You know, I really want to hear your answer to that question, you uh, you two as well, because you're actually the experts on this. But look, obviously, there's the, the really obvious stuff. Women can't be what they can't see, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to do the role modelling. Diversity is important for our industry because diverse teams are 35% more effective on average than non-diverse teams. They've got proper diversity of all kinds, you know, proper cross-section. And 35% is a performance 
gap that we can't meet any other way. So we just need to be better at this and more effective and as efficient as we can. So it's, it's a big problem space and we need to bring our best. I think the other really key point is that, and it's not universal, it's, you know, as a kind of gendered bias, but women, you know, naturally, physiologically are great at connecting. They're usually pretty good at empathically understanding and, and listening to their audience. They're great, great at bringing people together. Women in teams are often the connectors in teams. In fact, one of our awesome directors in the, in the EY cyber team, we were kind of talking about actually how to promote and compensate her. I said to the rest of the team, I just want you all to think about what would happen if she wasn't here. The panic on their faces because they realized, oh my God, we would, who would look after us? Who would make sure that everyone's connected and call out problems, et cetera? And I'm like, exactly. So we better, better make sure we don't lose her, right? That is a role that women play. And I think the frontier that is coming is, you know, and you, you really called it out, Louisa, in terms of digital inclusion. It's, it's a huge issue. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's when cyber people say, oh, you know, it's, we didn't have end users. And it's like, well, you know, you can be that way classic tech versus everybody else, right? Nerds of the world unite. But it's a really uninclusive, male-dominated strategy. It's a really silly way to think because actually if we can relate to our users, if we can get them on board, if we can get them involved. So what, you know, what we need now, the frontier we need now is not more technology. It's better use of the technology and better engagement with end users and better inclusion. And I think that's something that, that women really can bring to the space. So, A, we're going to be better and B, we're going to be more inclusive generally and C, we're going to get the message about cybersecurity out. You know, look, I I don't want to make it too much of a problem because let's face it, we all made stacks of money out of the fact that cyber was a black art, but it needs to stop being a black art and it needs to be easy to use and accessible and straightforward so that we can all be more secure. So, yeah, I think the sooner we move there and we start to think effectively and efficiently about how we can convert those users, you know, who represent most of our attack surface into absolute advocates and defenders from, you know, a problem space um, is really great. And, and I think that's something that, that women are really great at bringing to the problem, not that men can't do it, but I just find it's something that women tend to do intuitively and often that past energy is to look at end users as a bit of a hassle and if we could only stop them doing things it would be so much easier well how about you educate them so they don't do the wrong things and so that they spot things and become part of your defense system you know they ring it or click the phishing link and say hey this is a problem then you'll have thirty thousand people solving problems instead of thirty thousand people who are possible possible vulnerabilities so yeah i think engagement human factors you know, working with people's the next frontier. So, yeah, I think we need more women and diverse minorities of all kinds, right? More neurodiverse people thinking about the problem, et cetera. Jack, I remember actually it was one of your amazing fit events that I attended and you had a speaker who talked about the importance of diversity and inclusion in product development. I think you might recall, you know, they told the story of a gaming company that had tested the game consoles you know, the controllers, you, you know, that you put in your hand mm. and they'd only tested those with focus groups of men. And so when they launched these controllers, the women were kind of saying, you know, because there were lots of women gamers and it was a real kind of emerging thing back then for women to, to be playing more games. And they were like, these controllers don't sit in our hands right. And that was like this aha moment where they were like, oh, crap, we should have 
we should have done a focus group with a diverse set of people. So that I remember listening to that and going, this just makes such economic sense in so many fields. It's such a good point. You know, even you look at like a lot of drugs aren't actually designed for women and women's hormonal changes and that sort of thing. So they work quite differently in women, but we don't find that out till someone suffers an adverse reaction or whatever. Even And actually even work, you know, this is one of my, you've both heard this, this bugbear, so I'll go on a little minor rant, like if you were going to design work in 2021 for post-pandemic or current pandemic, you know, no one would design work five days a week, four weeks a year. You, you know, who, who wants to go to work when they have their period? No one, actually. Well, no one that I've known either. And not everybody struggles with it, right? But, you know, it wouldn't be much nicer to kind of sit at home and rest those days and then go out and have much longer days when you feel like you've got more energy. But androgenic rhythm is, you know, more circadian rhythm where you kind of have the same hormone thing, you know, most days, different hormones during the day. But kind of that's a masculine pattern. Obviously, there's the, the big question of domestic labor and that sort of thing. And who does a lot of that? Who does school drop off, etc. But, you know, even that energy, the experience of, of course, LP, you've had it so much. They're, they're massively stressful. I've got a call at 8.45 and daycare drop off is 8.15 and it's 7.45 and my child will not get in the car. The level of stress that that causes, you know, by the time you actually get on you on your meeting at 8.45 or whenever your meeting is. Do women really need to start their day that way? And it's actually really good when we see men getting more involved in assisting with that and working with some of the challenges. But the reality is that globally, the balance of domestic labor and childcare falls onto women. Mm. So, you know, we've just got this hugely stressful start to the day, which maybe if work was designed around those type of responsibilities i.e. with humans in mind because actually humans reproduce. And so if we designed around those things and just took some of the stress out of the field, how much more functionally effective could we be? I've just changed jobs recently, as you both know. I'm six weeks into a new role. And what sold me on this company was the family-first approach. Mm -hmm. Your family and what you need to do with your family and your time is is number one and work fits in around that. There was no hours prescribed. Everyone works their butts off, but I know that I've got the time to do what I need to get done in the morning before I sit down and you sit down, like you said, Jackie, so much more relaxed and ready to go because you've just been able to take that time that you need in your day to get those important things done, like drop off and come back and, you know, take a breath and off you go. But there's complete flexibility if something comes up during the day and you need to go, if you want to go and have a workout at lunchtime or in the mid-afternoon. We recently, as part of my old role, kicked off a mentoring program here in Queensland. And when I did a little bit of an introduction to those university students, I did harp on about two things. One was Never stay in a place where you're just not happy because there are so many incredible workplaces that will give you that kind of flexibility. You've got to find them. And when you find them, don't, don't waste the opportunity. And the second point, always find those managers that support and understand that you have a life outside of your job too. And I've been really lucky over several companies to have those managers, but I've landed the jackpot with my current CEO who just understands the importance of that family time. So it it sort of has come up with our Project Friedman cohort from 2019, where they've struggled with certain workplace environments and they've been able to soundboard with others to say, that's not right. You don't need to put up with something like that. And they've referred 
referred each other to other roles and they've all blossomed as a result. And that's what we're hoping this current cohort learns from each other, that there are wonderful opportunities out there and you don't have to stay in situations that doesn't support you, doesn't support your lifestyle and doesn't, you know, support the things that are important to you. Such a good point, LP. I think, you know, if there's a single useful piece of advice for women when you do coaching, it's it's so common for women to internalize things. And it, look, I'm, I'm victim blaming again there. I don't mean to. Let me frame it the other way. Women are taught that when something goes wrong, it's intrinsically something about themselves that has caused the problem, which makes them great at taking responsibility and own, owning things, but obviously puts an enormous amount of stress on women. And when you see the difference between an environment where people are supportive, you're encouraged to thrive, suddenly your performance lifts so much, right? It makes such a difference. And so it's really important to seek that out for your own performance management. And look, I've, I've worked in special forces, which was its own joy and challenge. And, you know, I kind of like to say to my team, you know, I, you know, we don't want to create an environment where it's like that, where, you know, yeah, you can hack it. It's not about hacking it. It's about being relaxed and calm enough to focus, think clearly and go, how am I going to bring my best today, you know, to what I'm doing? And you can't do that if you're pumping so much cortisol, you can't even think, or every time someone looks sideways at you, you think they're going to snap at you or blame you for something. It's just not possible. I think uh, LV and I've both been through those days where you just get on the phone at eight o'clock and you're still there at five o'clock and you haven't stopped all day. You haven't had lunch. You've had to like excuse yourself, just to <laughs> take a bathroom break at some point. But yes, I'm starting to kind of feel like those days are, are over in terms of, you know, that demand. Yeah. People will vote with their feet, right, Jackie? Mm. So I think, I think that's what in reality we are and will continue to see women congregate in workplaces that they can thrive in. Mm. And, you know, I, I really love that you've said that, Elve, and that's like such a good point because one of the, you know, one of my other, you know, mini rants, I have like a few tracks that probably are overused, but that's kind of one of them is that there's, we've got this idea, you know, the number of people that sort of talk to me about, you know, how do I get more women you know, what do I do to get more? And it's like, well, you know, all they say, and this used to be like a really actually quite hilarious one, there's a problem with the women because they're just, there aren't enough that they don't apply. And I've, you know, gotten older and more direct, which I know for both of you will be like, what do you mean more direct? But I just kind of cut straight to the chase now. And I, I used to sort of go, well, you know, let's talk through it. And now I just go, well, you have a problem. I mean, women don't apply to you. And they're like, no, 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 women just don't apply. And I'm like, well, they do to me, but they obviously don't to you. So so actually you have a problem. I don't, this is not a shared industry level problem. Well, there just aren't enough women. Well, yeah, but the reality is women help make your business better. All diverse minorities, you know, better diversity helps make your business better. And actually, you know, we sort of talk about it as diversity and inclusion, but the reality is it's the other way around, you know, environments where you feel like you belong, where you can thrive, uh, inclusive environments, create good diversity, and they start with good leadership. So it's actually leadership creates inclusion, creates diversity. Diversity is not something that you need to push people into or create some sort of thing where you the women are kind of like migrant birds and you've got to corral them or find a way to attract them to, to trees. 
actually build it and they will come. And the number of people that sort of say, well, you know, there just aren't enough women to go around. And I'm like, yep. And so what you'll see is that inclusive environments will have more of them. And because if you're in an inclusive environment, it's an indicator, you know, having more women is an indicator that you've got an inclusive environment and that you're performing better. So you're going to thrive. And so that is about winning in the market. So for all those people who run businesses and don't want to win, I'd A, question kind of why they're out there. Do they want to kind of just mediocre their way to a short end or do they want to actually get going? And if they want to get going, then good leadership is inclusive leadership and inclusive leadership will mean you don't have to keep crawling over broken glass to find all the women. The women will want to come and work for you. So, yeah, I think that's that's such a good point that actually we tend to see getting the women as the problem or, you know, the way that people speak of it to me, it's like it's some sort of, I just need to crack this nut, right? Like how do we get the women to do it? And I'm just like what you have to do is just be a decent leader, understand inclusion, and then you won't have to work so hard. The women will just come to you because actually Mm. women are really clever and they work out where is a good place to work. And here's another newsflash. They talk to each other. They go, that place is a bit rubbish. Don't go and work for them. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we do it, the three of us do it with each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, LV and I, we, we won't name the company, but we both applied for a company and had a similar experience and then spoke to a couple of women who had worked there and within two minutes knew it was not a place that was the right environment for us to be in. So we talk and, you know, the, the good leaders don't need to actually sell themselves because their staff and even previous staff will do it for them. You know, that's one thing we've loved about Project Freeman is they do recommend to each other, has anyone worked here, any two cents? You know, we had one a participant recently who'd struggled with getting her pay right and superannuation and a few things. And she was able to sort of warn others for things to look for in the future. And yeah, we talk, we trust each other and we talk. So bang on, Jack. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because those kind of employers you know, tend to be the first. And I guess this is a really interesting thing when I talk about, when I think about leadership and inclusion, because, you know, actually that's what it's about. It's about actually being self-aware, analyzing yourself, looking for where you can be better, learning and being on a journey. Um, And that's what good leaders and bad leaders blame other people for their problems. And, you know, Mm. I think the dynamic of that, you know, those are the sort of leaders in that business that you spoke about that would, I use the term very loosely, that would be the ones that would sort of say to me, hey, you know, there's something wrong with the women. They won't, they won't come and work with us. You know, it's not about getting them. It's about attracting them to your business through demonstrating inclusive leadership. Yeah, I do think it's really funny actually that, you know, even that statement that we, we can't get the women or the women are somehow the problem. Why don't they want to come and work here? They're the problem. Well, you know, there's your answer. You're not looking at how you could change because, you know, most mature, emotionally mature people understand that they can't really change other people. They have to change themselves. And, uh, yeah, it's a really good leadership indicator. Uh, you had some great insights about your speaking journey, which which I'd love to quickly chat about if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of, you know, 
because you've done some huge conference speaking slots, uh, international ones as well. So tell us a bit about how you got there and then how you prepare today for those um, sessions. I had a bit of an advantage. I was, you know, into debating and public speaking in school, at school. And in fact, my buddy in public speaking when I was on the debate team at my school was Peter Credlin, who obviously was Tony Abbott's chief of staff. So she's actually a pretty good speaker, as you would have heard. So she was kind of two years ahead of me and, uh, and kind of looked after me on the debate team. So I had some pretty cool women on that team coaching me, which was, which was really helpful. So I guess I've never been underconfident about it, but it's just certainly something that I'd really recommend, I guess, early to people is to, you know, my daughter got up on stage and sang her first composed on the spot song to a room full of adults at, at five. And so arguably I've erred on the other side there where, you know, she might be a bit too confident to take the mic, but that could uh, work out well for her. We'll see how she goes. But yeah, I think it's something that, you know, young women should really be encouraged to do. In terms of, I guess so, in terms of being asked to speak at things, the good bit is people are starting to be a bit more conscious of diversity. And I've been in roles where I've been asked to speak and I really don't say no to many things unless I think there's, you know, kind of something wrong with them. So if I've got the time to do it, you know, as much as I uh, I do tweet at mantle people who have mantles, I do feel like it's my responsibility to help people not have a mantle as well. And look, I just find that actually um, it's one of those kind of network things where people ask you to speak on things and then you end up speaking with someone and and then they sort of say, hey, do you want to come and speak at my conference or we'd like you, like you to speak at something else? So, yeah, I certainly spoke as uh, when I was at Telstra at a conference called CBOS, which, which actually was really funny. I hadn't looked at it really into enough detail, but it's a huge global financial conference. And, you know, they had it televised and stuff. And actually, hilariously, I kind of got there and they were like, you need your passport to get in. There were sniffer dogs. And I was like, I feel like this conference is a lot bigger than I thought it would be you know I remember sitting in the hotel and at breakfast in the morning and like I reckon probably people's shoes were, were worth more than everything I was wearing that day so you know there's quite a lot of money in investment banking so there are a lot of very well-off people and I just thought well this conference is going to be interesting so it was it was you know great that conference I got to sit down with Troy Hunt who's obviously you know pretty well-known uh, guy globally and lives quite close to me but, you know, that was pretty cool. And uh, and a guy who was part of the, you know, ran the, the Russian Central Bank. So we had a really cool discussion that was kind of kind of an interesting group. And actually, I remember beforehand, they had a whole lot of, you know, TV people, I think the SBS TV team were there doing the media. And uh, and I actually remember the, the guy sort of saying to me, I'm just going to unzip your dress and clip this microphone onto your bra. And I was like, oh, I'll do that. And he just sort of gave me a look like, so sick of working with amateurs. I was like, oh, that's weird for me. <laughs> I normally undress myself. Uh, he obviously thought I was a bit of an amateur, but it was it was a great experience. And obviously, the gentleman from Russia said on the way out, hey, do you want to come to Moscow? We're doing this conference next year. So that was pretty good fun. And actually, I remember at the time, I had my daughter that week and it was a bit hard to kind of work out what to do. And I said, look, I'm probably going to have to bring my daughter. They said, yeah, no worries. Send us her passport. And I thought for a visa. And then they sent me back a business class ticket for her. And I thought, great. So I guess that's 
you know, instructive only because, A, it was an amazing experience to um, to go over and speak in Moscow, which is, you know, you can't necessarily swan into Moscow and, you know, have drinks on the Russian Prime Minister's private golf course in the middle of the city, which I was lucky enough to do. The other thing that's really important is that I had my daughter with me and I had to take her because it was kind of more than a week and I didn't have any options for whatever reason at that time. And it would have been really easy to go, oh, my God, I can't take my seven-year-old to Moscow. But I could take my seven-year-old to Moscow and she had a great time too. And we found a nanny over there who taught English. I actually spoke to her in the morning and said, is it normal for Russians to have English this impressive? And she said, oh, no, I'm an English teacher. Fantastic. So, yeah, they had a great time and, you know, went to Gorky Park and, and had a whale of a time and she learned a whole lot of Russian, which she can still speak with a very good accent, I am told. So uh, I don't actually know what she's saying, but Russian native speakers tell me that she's very understandable and only a hint of an Australian accent. So it was a great experience for both of us. And I think that's really easy when you're a mother, especially with a a youngish child, to sort of feel like that inhibits you. But you don't have to let it inhibit you. So if you you have a skill set that people value and that they want you for, then you can just say, I have to bring my daughter or insert name of child. We've actually got three women on this current cohort who are actually pregnant and having babies, uh, but they felt it was really important skill for them to work on. So they're kind of pushing through and they'll probably present slightly earlier around babies, but they're just incredible, the juggling. So I love, I love so many things about that story. Relating it back to kind of the speaking journey and, and you know, the, the key learnings there, I think saying yes to those speaking opportunities. I I love that because you can see with just that example that, you know, you said yes to that, to that big conference and you, you weren't intimidated by, you know, what it was and you just got out there and did what you do. And, and then off the back of that, you know, the person that you're, you're presenting with has kind of said, Oh, would you come speak at my conference in Russia? I just love how that's led to something really exciting. And then that experience for your daughter to come along with you and go to Russia. And yeah, it just, it just shows you that the sky's the limit and, and you just got to say, you just got to say yes. But there are occasions where you, you do need to think about saying no, certainly not because you need to bring your daughter along, but where, and I had this experience and, and I don't know if it's happened to you, Jackie, but someone a few years ago said to me, oh, would you come and speak at our conference? Because we don't have any women in the lineup. And I just went, I'm going to say no, because you didn't ask me to come and speak about what I stand for and, and what I can talk about. It was, you asked me to come and speak for my gender to, to yeah, to tick a box. And previously I would have gone, yeah. Oh my gosh. Someone's asked me, oh, I should be really grateful. And I'd have gone along and had a really bad experience, but I actually said, no, thank you. And that was really empowering. Have you, Jackie, you said, you know, conferences have got better. Have you experienced any of that in the last couple of years or do you think things have improved? Look, there's always, I think, you know, when I talked about uh, conferences that I would steer clear of, there's always brands 
to steer clear of it. And there've been a couple of really um, obvious examples in them. I did one, there's been one that's called out recently in the press and a couple of really senior cyber women have, have called them out for plagiarizing articles and doing some really bad behavior, really unethical behavior. And I did agree to do a session for them and then turned up to find out, actually, I was the moderator, not a speaker in the session, which was pretty irritating because the two people who were speaking were far less qualified than I was and actually not great speakers. So when they asked me again, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to politely let that go. And there was a second one actually, and it was only reasonably recently, just before COVID started, whilst I was at EY, so it can't have been that long ago. And they'd asked me to go to Canberra to do a conference and to chair that session. And I guess this is the thing when I talk about leadership and inclusion and that sort of thing that the hallmarks are there. When people say things like that, oh, we need we need a woman because we don't have enough or they ask you to chair a session because they kind of, you know, want to someone to wave the flag that's female so they can balance out all their male speakers or whatever. You often find that that's what they're trying to do is a token inclusion. And so they're not seeing your value and they're not doing what you need. So I actually got, they were quite last minute, which is another classic sign of people who aren't great leaders. They're kind of a bit chaotic and disorganized, which just makes it stressful to work with. Planning ahead is really important when you've got to manage children and a job, etc. It was quite a big time commitment. And obviously, as a consultant, you know, I have an hourly rate. So if I'm going to not charge someone, then, you know, it needs to be kind of worth my while. I can't kind of stand around all day. Anyway, it turned out that's what I would be doing, standing around all day. And I looked at the script that they had sent me like two or three days out. I mean, I should send it to you because you'll laugh your heads off as a kind of an annex, but it was like, oh, and then Jackie will announce that morning tea is available now in the thing. And I'm just thought, I'm not the hostie on a game show. So there wasn't anything where I was actually speaking about any topic at all. I wasn't moderating any panels or joining any discussions. I was just doing admin announcements. And I was like, guys, my daily rate, like, no. And it was three days out from quite a big conference with some quite senior speakers. In fact, I think Mike might have been speaking at it. And I think Rachel was too, actually, uh, who, uh, our Telstra friends. And yeah, I said, I can't, can't make myself available for this. And, uh, and actually that the conference organizer, you know, who was running it kind of rang me and said, Oh, you know, we've already paid for your flights and stuff. And I said, Oh, well, you'll have to get a refund. Like that's. And I said, I don't think you have actually, because I haven't seen them come through because you're disorganized about that as well. But, but it's actually, oh, well, well, maybe we can find a speaking slot and put you in there. And I said, oh, I don't think you understand. I've said no. Now, like I've seen your approach and I'm just not interested in participating. And they were really, really cross about it, but, you know, because they felt like it was really last minute. And I said, well, it's like absolutely a response to the fact that, you know, I'm not, I'm not even there to talk about cyber. You could get, why don't you do it, mate? Like you could, whatever your name is, you could do it yourself. It really doesn't need to be anybody who knows anything about cyber. So it was just astonishing actually that they would have the hide and then not only have the hide to do it, but kind of double down and get on the phone to kind of have a bit of go, you're letting everyone down. I'm like, well, I think you've let yourselves down, team. So yeah, it's really interesting. I think there are definitely organizations that it's just best not to work with. Yeah. Identifying those is really important. And I hope with Friedman that you've kind of weeded them out of the speaking circuit for the team. Yeah. It's challenging Again, you know, as a woman leader in cybersecurity, you want to be seen, you want to be visible, and you want to help, as, as we talked about earlier, to, you know, those organizations not have a manual. So it, it, you want to say yes, but at the same time, it's okay to say this event isn't for me. 
and you've given some really, really great reasons as to why you would say no and it's okay to say no. So thank you so much for sharing those because I think that's really, really helpful. Well, very easy, mate, and one that I probably missed that uh, that my great colleague uh, Georgina Crundell likes to talk about as well, previous CISO of the Bank of Queensland, right? So she's not a um, minor player in terms of cybersecurity. She knows her stuff. She said, you know, the number of people that ring her and go, oh, can you speak about diversity at a cyber conference? She's like, I know quite a lot about cyber as well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we want you to talk about diversity though because that's a good topic. And she's like, here's an idea. Get the men to talk about diversity and I'll talk about cyber assurance in financial services or, you know, something like that, which is my sweet spot actually. So, yeah, it's actually really good that she pushes back, but that's another common thing that you get. Let's talk about like women's stuff because you're a woman. I am, but I also can do other things. Yeah, very good point. So maybe we'll just conclude this chat, Jackie, with if people want to follow what you do, if they don't already know you, how can they find you? For the crazy few, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm just highlighting, I'm sure there's heaps of people who, who may well not want to follow me anywhere, but obviously, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I believe in making the space safe for women to be who they are and speak their truth on the internet. I offer quite violent opposition to anti-feminist rhetoric on Twitter as Cyberwitch, which with a Y. I do occasionally post my latest, I had a walk this morning and a bit of a ranty thing has occurred to me, blog on LinkedIn, which as you both would also probably recall, I had one that went uh, viral on LinkedIn and I found out that LinkedIn stops collecting how many views a post has had after 2 million. And it just goes to 2 million and then stops. So but that thing circulated forever. So that was one of my more famous uh, rants. I'm just looking you up on Twitter to see what your latest rant was. <laughs> I can't even remember what it was. Actually, I think, in fact, I think uh, someone had put, can you like actually be a senior tech professional and still ship post on Twitter? And I was like, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Thanks, Jax. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank so you both. Good to get your insights and yeah and thank you for always being a voice for women and for calling things out love your work thank you both for being this huge impactful change project friedman might have started as something small and women speak cyber but you know i so love that now anytime people complain about well, i can't get any women speakers and i'm like no excuse women speak cyber and i'm referring people to you so you're making a huge impact and you know it's fantastic Mm. thank you thank you this podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the australian signals directorate for updates on women speak cyber and our initiatives to help elevate grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on twitter at women speak cyber or find us on linkedin